Hello, and welcome to the Rising is One podcast. As always, I'm Aaron Blau, and I'll be taking you through today's episode. We start off today's episode with Dominic and a special guest, Kevin Gates from the PRFC Fan Show. They'll be taking us through the exciting 3-3 draw for Phoenix Rising against New Mexico United. We'll talk a little bit of calendar and some other club news. And we'll close up shop with our ever-popular segment, Questions from the Supporters section. For now, here's Dominic with Kevin Gates. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Rising is One podcast. This is Dominic Kearns with a special guest this week. Kyle's out in Turks and Caicos. Aaron's out being a soccer dad. So we got Kevin Gates coming on. How are you doing, Kevin? I'm doing great, Dominic. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for uh, letting me invade your show for a week. Anytime. Anytime. Um, you know, we kind of have to have you invade because you were one of the people that was there yesterday. <laughs> I was. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Which is definitely more than we can say about Kyle probably probably doing shenanigans with Billy Forbes' family out in Turks and Caicos. But You know, um, if I could be in Turks and Caicos right now, um, you know, it would have been great to be at a home opener, but I'd take Turks and Caicos. No victory cigar for him, though. Maybe a little cocky saying he was going to do the victory cigar. That's true. He did say that, didn't he? Uh, <laughs> you know, hopefully he smoked one anyways, but uh, yeah, it wasn't quite for uh, victory. Maybe for stress relief. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it was definitely a crazy match. Um, before we dive right into it, I want to thank our sponsors, the Arizona Sports Complex. They have soccer leagues, indoor and outdoor for kids of all ages. They do birthday parties. They do other events. They do other sports, too. Um, so go up there. It's right by the 17 and the 101. Let them know the Rising is One podcast sent you, and you'll get a discount on annual membership. So we had this little home match on Saturday night, and just like last week, we end up 3-3. What was it like before the kickoff even started? Because there were a couple cool things going on in the stadium. You know, there were uh, there was a lot of excitement. Um, really, it started off just with the um, the showing of the New Mexico fans. I know some people don't think we should play nice with the opposition's SGs, but you know what? I think they're just people, and I had I had some fun meeting them, and uh, definitely going to meet back up with them when I go to New Mexico for our next matchup. Um, that was fun, but the lights going out was both uh amazing and uh and it was just one of those things where we were like what the hell's going on you know <laughs> do we lose the lights are we gonna have a game uh and then of course all the the lightsabery things turned on and it was like okay uh maybe there's something to it and then the team turned on their their lightsaber things i was like okay this is just really cool yeah and uh sam door tweeted after the game that maybe that's going to be our thing moving forward um it was really cool to see Maybe we can get more of the fans around the stadium with those light sticks, but it was quite the spectacle. It was. I just wish that I'd had one. I don't know where they got them from, but uh, I didn't see them, and if I'd seen them, I definitely would have picked one up. Ah, that's the thing. I got in a little bit. I made it in time for kickoff, but the whole parking situation, it takes so long to get in there. I got up to the parking lot around 7. By the time I was in the stadium, it was like 7.25, so just missed it, but... 
Well, it was a spectacle. spectacle. Uh, It's too bad you missed it. It sounds like we're going to do it again, so we'll have uh, some more fun with it. For sure. I was right next to Banditos with their humongous Western Conference champions, Tifo. That was pretty neat. It was amazing, and the only thing that uh, wasn't was that they didn't keep it out long enough. Um, I wanted them to just like keep that thing out for 10 minutes or so, probably easier said than done, um, to get a couple of great camera shots on it, um, make sure everybody saw it. Um, it was, I mean, they must have spent hours and hours and hours making that thing. Well, yeah, because that thing was like at least at least like 40 feet long and you're talking also about it going back the entire length of the supporter sections that's at least 10 rows so yeah it was it was really cool to see i mean don't complain about it not being up long enough they held that thing up for the whole national anthem so you're looking at at least like four or five minutes because it was up before and after that too I, I did think of that, and, and, you know, they brought it down right after the National Anthem, and that was that was the thing, is that you were focused kind of on the flag and that little girl who sings who just tears the National Anthem up. She is awesome. Uh, and so by the time you turn your attention back to them, they added up for just a little bit after the National Anthem, and then it rolled right back up. And I'm, you know, I'm being a spoiled little baby here, I'll admit it. Um, I like looking at the thing, so they should have held it up all night for me. I don't know. <laughs> How dare they take it down for you? <laughs> Exactly. What, do they want to watch the game? (laughs) What kind of madness is that? Um, So it gets started, and interesting starting 11. Not too many changes in the back four. I was expecting more changes in the back four, but the only one from last Saturday to this one was A.J. Cochran coming in. Well, I take that back. Both the center backs were different. Um, Tristan Blackman came back from LAFC. He gets the start alongside A.J. Cochran, who a lot of people were expecting to start in the other center back spot. Um, and then Dia and Duboya on the wings. Then another one of those LAFC loanies, Javier Perez, made his Phoenix Rising debut. Um, and we'll talk about his performance. He was joined by um, Asante, Kevon Lambert, Aguinaga, and Flemings in the midfield, and then Adam John up top. Um, it was technically a 4 1 4 1. Um, but we will talk about Javier Perez a little more because um, his defense was a little bit lacking at times. Um, for New Mexico, I don't know. I, I don't want to stand over you there. What were your thoughts? Um, when it came to New Mexico's uh, lineup, um, you know, there were a couple of names that, uh, that I was going to watch. Uh, Mower in the midfield, of course. Um, I thought that uh, Guzman in the midfield was going to be somebody that uh, we're going to have to watch. Um, I thought that uh, Hamilton was with New Mexico. He wasn't on the pitch. Am I off base there? Is he with another team? No, Sam Hamilton is with New Mexico, and it's super interesting because he didn't even make the trip with the team. You are right, gentlemen. Sam Hamilton did not make the trip with the team, and you would know that if you read your FirebirdSoccer.net preview, which noted that Sam Hamilton got injured in the season opener for New Mexico. Make sure to check out the game preview before every Phoenix Rising match for all the update news before the players hit the pitch. Back to you two in the studio. Well, it was, uh, I was kind of relieved to see that he wasn't up there. But, you know, Guzman in the midfield, I think, is a force to be reckoned with. Of course, he had um, Kevon Freider 
um, up up in the midfield too. Um, frankly, I love Kevon Freider as a person um, in the right in the right uh, formation uh, and on the right side of the field. He's a threat. We learned that last night. Um, I was a little bit more threatened by Moore, um, but overall uh, a strong lineup. Uh, unfortunately, when it comes to uh, their their back four. Um, outside of Suggs, who I know peripherally, I don't know anything about him, so I can't really talk to, to their back four. Yeah, I mean, uh, Josh Suggs is a name that people will know. Um, Austin Yearwood had some time with Swill Park Rangers. Um, he was one of their backs as well. And then Cody Mizell and Ned, he came from Pittsburgh Riverhounds. He was over there for a couple seasons. Um, huh. And was quite the prick in Ned during yesterday's game, Yeah, if we're going to be honest about it, but... <laughs> Maybe we should save that for a little bit later. What were your thoughts on Phoenix Rising starting eleven? Um, you know, I I like I like the starting eleven. Um, except that um, I'm missing Joe Farrell a lot. Um, the the back four, and you know, we're going to talk about this, but the the back four and the communication with the midfielders um, are problematic now. So with our starting 11, um, I was a little bit surprised. Uh, there are two schools of thought there. The first one is bring out your best and take care of your business. The second one is it's the beginning of the season, still feeling things out. Let's see how these guys are going to gel, how they're going to adapt to the new style of football that we're playing. That's what Rick Schantz went with, and I don't fault him for that. It's hard for me to see somebody like Joe Farrell not in the lineup. Um, I think – he was such a stalwart player for us last year. Um, and, you know, to start the game off and at least set a tone and then maybe sub in someone else for him uh, later on would have been something I'd done, but I'm not a head coach, so I can't, you know, really second guess that. Um, the rest of it, uh, Perez, you know, he was brand new and coming in. And, and the breakdown, as far as I could tell last night, in our, our defense and midfield was all communication, and it was all uh, it was all anticipation. Um, that being said, Asante and Mustafa were, or, or Dumbaya, I should say, were really working well. They they were playing right in front of me the first half, and man, there was communication. They were reading the other guy really well. Really, really happy with that. Now, when it came to the other side with Flemings, you know, Junior Flemings seems to be a really, really good midfielder who's hustling all the time. Seem, things seem to work out pretty well over there, but honestly, uh, I didn't see it as clearly as I did was on my side. Where I saw the real breakdown was with um, Javier Perez, uh, especially with Lambert. They just seemed to be overstriding each other a little bit. There didn't seem to be much connectivity with the uh, – with the other uh, with the other midfielders and especially with that on, um, I think it's going to be key now that we have much mobility um, in a number nine for the team. Our midfielders have got to be able to read what Adam's doing, and Adam's got to be able to figure out where they are and where they can put the ball for him and move. And I'm not seeing any of that. So overall, you know, I get it. it's an experimental uh, eleven. Oh yeah, I, I agree, and it's just it's a little frustrating because. Okay, I understand the experimentation, but at the same time, we're into the regular season now. These are matches that matter. New Mexico is a team that we're going to be competing with for playoff positioning this year. San Antonio is a team that we will be fighting with as well. And then to see some of these experimental lineups 
especially bringing the guys from LAFC straight into the starting 11 without a lot of time to gel on the training pitch. Um, you're right about the midfield struggling a little bit. I think Javier Perez, Lambert, and Aguinaga were just having a tough time really linking up and being on the same wavelength. Because there were several times Aguinaga was looking for the ball and people weren't finding him with it. But then yep. he was moving forward, and then when they came the other way, he wasn't back quick enough. And so it was just, it was weird. There were some weird giveaways. Um, I'm, I don't know how much tactically Javier knew before he was just getting thrown in there. I mean, three days after the loans were announced. So kind of a tough position for everyone to be in. Uh, with that being said, let's get to the game itself. Um, the first 10, 15 minutes... I felt like we had most of the possession. We definitely had most of the attacking threats. The last balls weren't quite getting in the right spots, but we were doing pretty well. It, it felt like we definitely had more of a threat, and they were just hoofing it out of their own half. And then out of nowhere, I mean, their first chance. Santi Moore gets a little bit of space, and Tristan Blackman doesn't get out quick enough to challenge him, and he just rips a beautiful curler into the top right corner. Um, Carl Wazinski was rooted. There's no way, even if he's full stretch, that he can save that. And I had a great view of it because that ball was coming right at me. That's where I was in the supporter section. And, um, you know, hell of a rip. You do not see people in the USL level put that ball in too often. Maybe like 20, 25% of the time. So great shot to put it in like that. But defensively, you still have to close out. Because these are, and we'll talk about it more as this game goes on, but some of their goals are very similar to OC last year, the game they won 4-3 in our building, where guys had too much time to line up these long shots. Yeah. Um, space was the biggest problem, uh, I think, defensively we had closing on the ball. Um, I've never played in a 4-1-4-1, and frankly, when I played, you know, it was the Stone Ages, so I'm sure the game's greatly changed, but you know, there's one thing that never changes, and that is you close on the guy with the ball. And uh, first and second goals, uh, really, that did not happen. They had plenty of time. I was, I was laughing because on Freighter's goal, I was like, hell, I could have made that. Or at least put it on target. I mean, even, even Santi Moore's like, he's able to take a touch, move the ball on his right foot. You know, that's his shooting foot. When he gets that pass, there's no one within four yards of him. And then even then, like, Blackman should be outstretched trying to get something on that ball, and instead he kind of just stands there and lets it go by. Yep, statue. Yep, absolutely correct. Um, you know, fortunately for us, we have a good response, as has been tradition this year. Um, so it comes in the 20... It was actually a little bit later than that, like the 27th minute. Um, well, even before that, Kavon Lambert had a great chance. Uh, we worked the ball up the left wing. Um, Jose Aguinaga gets in a great spot, and Adam, Jan, or Adam John picks him outright. Um, and then good read by Kavon to time his run up, find the open space. He has a good hit, but it's right at Mizell, who still has to have strong hands, and he makes a good save. Um, kind of an encouraging sequence, though. Absolutely. Uh, Kevon showed his his uh, skill as a player, as he did multiple times. Uh, I remember several episodes you guys talking about how uh, Kevon 
is able to be on the ball and make that quick turn to open space on the field. He did it at least three times last night. One of them was for that shot. Unfortunately, it did end up right, you know, into the keeper's hands. Uh, what was kind of funny is that later on in the game, he had another great shot towards the end of the game, and he didn't have to do anything fancy. He just had to, he just had to, you know, hit the ball and and then it uh, rocketed over the uh, goal. And he was very frustrated after that shot. I was, yeah, he he couldn't believe that it happened. It happens to everyone at one point or another. Oh yeah, that shot he put on target, and looking at it. They actually had a couple defenders there, so it was it was going to be tougher than it looked in real time to score that. Uh, I think he was thinking the keeper might go further to his left, but he just stood his ground and made that nice save. Um, but it didn't take long to get that answer for Phoenix. You know, three minutes later, Solo Asante doing what he does, getting past a couple defenders. The ball takes a fortuitous bounce uh, because a defender gets in and puts a foot on it, but... Um, the ball goes right back to Solo. He plays it forward, and Juan Guzman sticks his foot out, and uh, Asante earns the penalty. Um, I feel like this is one where if you're the opposing team's fan, you might be a little salty about it, but it's a penalty. I mean, he stuck his foot out, and Solo did what a smart player does. He let his foot stay back for a little bit longer so that he would you know, go up against the foot, expose the dumb move made by the defender there. Yep. It was, it was savvy. All you're doing is taking advantage of a situation. Right. It was savvy. It's a stonewall penalty. Um, and then he goes up and uh, Mizell tries to delay things. He gets a yellow card. This is when he's being a prick. And uh, Solo just keeps his cool and he puts it right in to the bottom right corner after Mizell goes the other way. That's great karma to see that happen. Yeah. Mizell was being a uh, I'll, I'll use the term prick like you did. Um, deserve the yellow card. You know, chill out, get over yourself, move on with the game. Definitely. And it, it wasn't the last time where that kind of stuff happened. Um, New Mexico from the jump was, you know, trying to scrap it up, uh, trying to get our guys in trouble. But really, they just ended up picking up yellow cards like crazy um, themselves. But moments. Yeah, they ended up with six yellow cards by the end of the game, and they were they got salty right after the second half. I mean, like way salty after, right after the second half started, and it was like, you know, there's aggressive, and then there's salty, and they were they were just, and then as the as the half went further, they were getting more and more aggressive, and in the last ten minutes of the game, I'm sitting there talking to Edward, and I'm like, you know, this is the point where players start to get injured because they, they started to get borderline reckless. It was like playing Las Vegas. Last year's Las Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Last year's Las Vegas. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with you. Um, they were definitely, definitely trying to stir stuff up and slow the game down and get physical. And thankfully none of our guys were hurt by it, but, um, definitely frustrating stuff to see. Uh, also frustrating to see, Moments after that goal, New Mexico gets the ball. Kavon Frater has it, and he's about 25 yards out. Um, and there's kind of just a breakdown in communication again. Um, Dumboya is tracking back to his right because he wants to make sure Frater doesn't pass it up the line to set things up. Um, Blackman is moving back because he's tracking um, one of their attacking players. I think it was Moore, actually, who was running into the box. Um, so everyone's moving backwards and it just gives 
freighter all the time in the world, he could have even come up closer and taken his shot. Still a really good hit. It's a hard low shot. But Carl Wazinski, in my opinion, needs to make this save. You know, it's funny the way you put it, because I, I think you're putting exactly right. It was like Freighter was coming up and everybody was moving back. And it was like a, if you have like a positive uh, a, a positive magnet and you push it against a negative mag- or another positive magnet and it pushes away, you know, it was like we just opened the seas for uh, for Freighter um, and, he, and he hooked that in. You know, Carl's a big guy. Uh, that ball went up into the corner, kind of curled into the corner. Um he had time. You're right. You know, it wasn't his best night. Um, that was probably the goal that, yeah, it made you think, yeah, this isn't really Carl's night. Yeah, and I'm, as I'm looking at the shot in slow-mo and I'm looking at his feet, he doesn't start moving to his left until the ball has already traveled more than halfway through the air. Like, Kavan hits it from about 25 yards out, and Carl isn't moving to his left until the ball is around the penalty spot where it's already starting to curl into that bottom corner. Still, very good hit, and those are very tough shots to save, those ones that are low and kind of dipping on you. But a professional keeper, especially one with his experience, you expect him to at least get some fingertips on it and push that out for a corner. Yep, just not his night. Right. And you're right. I'm looking at the uh, the film now. I just... I just brought it up when you said that. Yeah, and Freighters was low. I was thinking it was up high, but it was down that low. Was, so that was the first goal, probably what you had in mind. Yep, that had to be it. Yep. This is called old age. <laughs> oh, it's all good. Um, it's it's tough because they're scoring so many goals on us that it's easy to get them confused. Well, you know, and here's something that's interesting because if you look at the stats of the game, um, it was interesting to me because – Shots on target, we had eight, they had six, right? It didn't feel that way. No, it did not. Um, it, it, it's just weird. Um, you know, shots inside of the box, we had 11 shots inside of the box. I can count maybe four shots inside of the box. Um, I guess they're our, counting the our, penalty kicks. Yeah, maybe maybe they're adding that in because uh, uh, New Mexico only had four, and it just did not feel that way. And that's not the only statistic that didn't feel that way in this game. But you know, because we're we're talking about the goals here, shots on target, and then just overall shots, not what I expected to see when I looked at the uh, statistics. I'll I'll support you on that and take it further. I mean, we had fifty nine percent possession in that game. We completed over a hundred more passes than New Mexico. We had better passing accuracy, and yet for stretches of that match, it felt like they were taking it to us. Most strangely, right after we tied the match 3-3, the last 20 minutes of that, it felt like they were mostly taking it to us, and we were like trying not to screw up and lose. I mean, we had a couple chances, but it's just it was weird. It, it did not feel like a game where we were unlucky to lose, and yet... On the same token, like it could have been a game where we won easily, like three to one, had we just done our job defensively. Well, I think a statistic that speaks to that, Dom, is that they had 14 interceptions, and some of them you alluded to this uh, earlier in this podcast is some of them came in the second half, and it was like, why did we make that pass? It was such a bad pass and so easy for them to intercept. It was almost like we we just passed it to them. 
Um, I don't know if we were losing focus or if our legs were tired or whatever, but that 14 interceptions to me, even though you can see that we had a high statistic, it was uh, 82% for passing accuracy. 14 interceptions is is uh, no bueno. That shouldn't be happening. Definitely not. Um, so the, the rest of the half kind of goes along. That's where it gets a little bit chippy. Um, Santi Moore gets a yellow card really shortly after their goal to go up 2-1. We pick up a couple of yellow cards before halftime. Um, we create a couple decent chances, but nothing that really gets you off the edge of your seat. Um, so we go in at halftime down 1-2 and... Uh, you know, just frustrating. Something needs to change. And Rick Schantz felt that too because he made a substitution at halftime. Shaft Brewer came on for Dumboya and, in my eyes, performed all right. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking that Shaft Brewer might be a contender to replace Dumboya in the starting 11. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I... It's funny because when I saw Brewer coming in from Dumboya, uh, first of all, Dumboya was uh, limping on his leg a little bit right before the uh, first half. He was right there in front of us in the stands. Um, and he kept uh, like rubbing his upper ankle slash calf area. Um, so I think that he had something that maybe Rick didn't want to uh, make any worse. So that might have been part of the decision, I'm just guessing. Uh, but when Brewer came in, I I was thinking – all due respect to uh, to Shaft, this is a bit of a downgrade, and boy, did he prove me wrong. Um, he had a great game. Uh, he was tracking. He was on point. Uh, he he played, I think, better in this game than I've ever seen him play for this team. And he didn't have a lot of minutes uh, last season, but the time that he did have, I wasn't impressed with. But last night, I was impressed with him. Yeah, and it it speaks to experimenting with him. Because last year he was mostly playing as a striker, as a substitute striker, get some fresh legs on, maybe put a goal in. They experimented with him to make him as a like a right back. And you did see Shaft a couple times in the preseason play right back. And honestly, not that badly. I remember watching him at right back in the Real Salt Lake game. And I was like, you know, our defense is not up to snuff today, but it's not Shaft's fault. He had some good passes going. He more than held his own defensively. Um, and it's nice to see that continue in his first appearance in the regular season in that role. Um, but we'll no, see how I that totally goes. No, I totally agree. Yeah. Well, and, you know, it's maybe it's part of this, you know, new formation with the 4-1-4-1. You know, I, like I, I know people are going to probably throw tomatoes at me for saying this, but I really think that part of the reason Billy Forbes struggled last year is because he was in the wrong he was in the wrong formation and he was on the wrong side and you, everything was stacked against him, and it just didn't work out. Well, maybe that's what's happening here with Brewer. We're going to see a different system. We're going to see a different formation, more possession based. Maybe he shines with this. Very good insight. I, I think you might be onto something. Um, so New Mexico also made a substitution at halftime. They bring in Austin Yearwood or they take off Yearwood, excuse me, and they bring yeah. on Manny Padilla. Um, and right away at the start of this half, kind of a nothing play ends up giving us an amazing opportunity. In the first minute out of halftime, um, we have the ball on the right wing, kind of a nothing ball, a neat little flick by John to put it in a situation where Flemings is in the box. And uh, is this a penalty? It's borderline. 
It's a penalty that I would be really pissed off if it went against us. Yeah, that's well said. <laughs> um, and especially, like, the second penalty for rising that match. Now, I'll play, I'll play it devil's advocate here, because Aaron Blau did not think it's a penalty. I think it's a foul. I don't think it's a foul that gets called very often in the box. Because uh, the defender did put his arm out. He did, like grab the jersey a little bit but it wasn't so egregious that you usually see that called you usually see them say like oh come on like play on it wasn't that much of an impeding kind of thing because in lifetime if he doesn't grab the jersey there there's no guarantee that junior Fleming's is actually going to get onto the end of the ball and do anything there um so it was really just a huge break for us because Again, like not a not a really threatening play. Um, creative by John to flick the ball on though, uh, and that's part of him being a good team player. He also got that attack started in the first half where Kavan couldn't quite finish it. But nice to see that kind of stuff. And I'm thinking the reason they called it is Fleming's jersey did come up and it came up right in front of the ref, so it might have looked worse to him than it actually was. The way I see this is that this guy had already given out like six yellow cards and a penalty. And so why not just throw another one on the pile? You know, I don't know if we're going to get into the referee later on in the podcast or not. But uh, I say play the game. Just keep going. And and you might be right. It might have been a misconception for him if, you know, the way that he saw the jersey and his positioning and stuff. Um, But you said it best. If it had gone against us, I would have been pissed. Well, and I also wonder if this is a makeup call for what happened. We didn't even touch on this in the first half when we had a goal taken off the board. A goal <laughs> that would have tied the game. Um, Asante puts a ball in, and, you know, when that was happening, you had a better view than I did. I had a terrible view because I was on the opposite side. You know, it's just, why isn't that a goal? That seems annoying. But then I went back and I saw it, and I, I uh, snapshotted the moment Asante's kicking the ball. And it doesn't look like anyone's offside. I don't know if you had a chance to see that screenshot, but... Oh, yeah. I went through it last night because I came home, and that was... Actually, I can't believe we didn't talk about this, because that was... Oh, I mean, we were just screaming on the side. I mean, we were just absolutely livid. We gave that fourth ref so much crap. Uh, and it does not look like an offside to me at all. I think he blew the call. Um, I think it just lined up perfectly with all the refing that we saw last night. I think what's very telling about that play is if the keeper responds immediately looking for the offside flag, then, okay, maybe there's something to be said there. But when it happens, he messes up. I don't even know who the ball went off, but it ends up in the back of the net, and he's just embarrassed. He's just on the ground, like, convinced that that's a goal. A couple defenders end up putting their hands up, like, all right, maybe we'll get something, but I don't think anyone thought it was actually going to be called. And nope. the guy had his flag up. And, you know, I, I heard Mike Vanderplas try to say, oh, it was off the deflection, but what deflection? The, the ball didn't take a deflection. It went straight to Mizell, and then he punches it off of our guy, and it goes in the net. And it doesn't matter yeah, where see, our guys are standing thing. when it goes off his hands because when the ball was played in, everyone's fine. Yep. I didn't see change of direction with the ball, and you're going to see change of direction if there's a deflection. There was no change in direction. Yeah, and uh, that's that's why Tyler Terrence was so shocked on the call because 
he was saying, oh, it must have been from the first, um, the first ball into the box because there's no way they could have called offsides for anything afterwards. So it's just uh, a weird one. I don't, I don't hate this ref as much as some people did yesterday. I think he was good for actually pulling his cards out and preventing the game from getting completely out of hand. He just messed up a couple big calls, which still sucks. Yeah, I just nine yellow cards in a game. Something's wrong. What to me? What's wrong is New Mexico trying to be antagonizing. I think you have to pull the cards out if they're going to do it. Well, but if you look at the distribution of the of the cards, I just and I don't have this memorized. I have it up in front of me on the screen. You've got yellows at eleven. 29, 40, 35, 28, 24, uh, 33. So that's seven of them. In the first half. That all happened early. Yeah, I think six. And then, yeah, six, six, six. Yeah, six or seven, whatever it is. But looking at the numbers here, when he should have been calling the yellows, he did because they were getting way aggro. They were just way too salty. But all of the crap uh, before that, um, like the Asante yellow, don't get me started. Yeah, I mean, we won't because we got to get through this this episode and not <laughs> keep people on here forever. But um, you know, one thing that might have been missed too, a, a couple people pointed things out. Um, one thing was before that second penalty, Mizell was already on a yellow card. He was time wasting. He was also up in the referee's face and might have contacted the ref. Um, no card comes out there. I mean. I think there were grounds for a yellow card yeah. there, and if he touches the ref, that's an automatic send-off. When, and every single time he was kicking the ball into play, he would step over outside of the box. Every single time. I and mean, we were pointing it out to the, to the ref over and over again, and he was time-wasting. I mean, dude's, you know, dude's got some spice in him, that's for sure. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was tough. He... He definitely did not enjoy us calling him a roly-poly either in the supporters section, which is kind of funny. <laughs> um, yeah, some people started a we want a goalie, not a roly-poly. Classic fourth-grade chant, oh. but it worked because they got two goals against him in the second half. Um, so things are going pretty well after that second goal, and I, I actually told my friend, I think we're going to get another goal in this game. If our defense doesn't screw this up, we're going to win. Well, guess what happens? We have a good attack. Um, Diaz able to get a shot. Uh, doesn't quite go in. But then they counterattack it really quick with um, Rashid Teta playing a ball forward for Santi Moore. And this is another one of these plays where all of our guys are just kind of jogging and watching him run with the ball. Um, you know, Kavan Freider had some space, and so people were worried about that. But then they give Santi Moore way too much space. Um, I'm going to back this up and slow it down a bit so I can see who was tracking back here. But, yeah, I mean, I see Aguinaga kind of slowing down. Um, Blackman, again, not quite getting in the right spot, although um, it might not have been his fault for that whole situation. Someone could have just put their foot in, though, and gotten a card even. Like, just to stop the attack there, because yep. uh, that's just way too easy. Um, still a nice finish. You see guys miss that a lot, but just absurd how easy that is. Um, 
I, I don't think there's anything to add because we've been talking about the defense struggling and yep. all their goals were just them getting space. Agreed. Um, so at this point, <laughs> the mood is not ideal uh, around the ground. And, you know, for a second, New Mexico was trying to put on a fourth goal. They had a couple shots blocked, but it seemed like they were taking it to us. Um, but thankfully, Jason Johnson gets subbed on in the 61st minute. And I think this is the sub that saves us. Um, you know, Johnson did it last week. He got that tying header. And he just comes in. He's a veteran. He knows what to do. And he's so composed. I think that must have been something he worked on this offseason because last year he was in a lot of those one-on-one situations and couldn't quite put them in the net. I'm sure he worked, whether with teammates or with a coach or something, on just keeping his cool in those high-pressure situations because um, after New Mexico picks up another yellow card in the 71st minute, Junior Flemings puts in a good ball, and Johnson has such a cool header a tough header because he had to kind of go up there and a little behind him. Um, and he just heads it down in the ground, hit it where they ain't, and we're tied up again. And he made it look so easy. Uh, just used his size, drove that ball. Um, you know, Jason, even before uh, the goal, he was all over that pitch. And, and I don't know Aguanaga as a player well at all at this point. But I can compare Aguanaga's performance last night versus Jason's. And I got to say, based on one game, one game, there's no comparison there. Um, JJ, you know, people have some problems with JJ. Okay, that's fine. But there is nobody who tracks back faster and harder than him and then all of a sudden spins on a dime and is down the field ready for a midfield pass to make a play with. Um he works so hard. He does, he's not afraid to tackle. Uh, he brings up the energy level around him. Uh, kind of like I thought with Evan Waldrop last year. Um, I love JJ. I love JJ's play. Uh, I thought he brought a little bit more energy to the team when he got on the field than they had before. Cause they looked tired to me last night. I don't, I don't watch legs when they're actually running to see if they look tired. I look when they're not running to see how they're you know, how they're walking, you know, when they're getting some rest between uh, handling the baller or whatever they're doing. And, and they look tired. It was, it was kind of a fitness thing to me. Yeah, it was kind of strange. Um, I don't know. It, it might just be Aguinaga still, like, struggling to fit with the system, and it's so early on. But Johnson comes in there, and you're right. He works his tail off, um, not just in the attack, but all around. And how can you not start the guy? I mean, the dude is super efficient. He's played a total of 40 minutes this season. He has two goals and two massively clutch goals that keep us from the bottom of the standings in the Western Conference. Um, so, I mean, put the start the guy, man. Like, he, in our first two games, is my MVP of the season because without him, we would be in a bad, bad spot right now. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. And it, it's interesting how quickly the conversation changes because if you remember last week, all the talk was Fleming's Johnson, right? And now it's Aguinaga Johnson. And what that really tells us is that Rick Schantz really is tr- trying to figure out what this squad's going to look like in the long run. And there's still a lot of experimentation going on. And uh, certainly I think one of the results of the experiment, in my mind, is I would fully expect J.J. to be in the uh, starting 11 next game. 
please. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, after we get this goal, um, people are pretty excited to win. And an interesting incident happens in the 72nd minute. Kavan gets a pretty bad yellow card. Um, what was interesting is I didn't even notice this in the moment. But someone pointed this out uh, this morning, and it actually kind of made sense. Kivan picked up a yellow card. Someone was saying he had gotten a yellow card earlier in the match, like after the first penalty kick was awarded. Because if I remember correctly, the ref pulled two yellow cards out before Asante took that kick. Only yep. one of them was officially marked down, and it was given to Cody Mizell. Apparently, he did not put that yellow card in the book for um, for Kavan Freider, and this is something that happened last year that benefited us in a match. But, geez, I mean, if this is true, like, get your stuff together. And I, I think it happened because New Mexico realized right away and they took him out in the 75th minute before they could fix any potential error there. Um, yeah, you you must have been talking to somebody like Chris Bajic, uh that's in Section 112 with me because half of our section was screaming freighters should have a red card. That's a second yellow. Uh, and, of course, it went on deaf ears. Um, we were really hoping that we made at least enough noise that uh, somebody in the coaching staff was going to pick it up. Uh, but for whatever reason, it, it wasn't. Maybe they see an official record and uh, and they see that there's not a second yellow card recorded. But, uh yeah, we all expected 100% that he was going off the field. So pretty frustrating there, um, but not not new for USL Pro repping. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, this match, there are chances for both sides, but not, like, really high-quality chances. Um, new Mexico gave me a couple nervy moments. Santi Moore forced a save in the 83rd minute. Um, they There were a couple times we just had to scramble the ball out of our box. But, uh, and, you know, we had a couple chances, too, and they just didn't quite come up as, like, really quality chances where we were pressuring their keeper into saves. But, um, you know, it was interesting. It was back and forth. There were a couple corners at the end, but neither team had a real quality chance, and so that's how it ended, 3-3. I think a fair result on the night, but this was a weird game. It was weird, and... I'll I'll take the the draw and run. Um, deserved or not, I don't I don't know. Um, both sides that had their pluses and minuses. I mean, uh, for for you know we'll just we'll just leave it at that. I think that both sides had their weaknesses and their strengths. Okay, that's an obvious statement. But what I'm trying to say is that um, when it came down to it, I thought New Mexico United was much more organized than Phoenix Rising was uh, on the defense side. And on the offense side, the two teams were nearly equal with Phoenix Rising get a, getting a little bit of the edge. I do remember that first corner kick was a close call. I don't recall whose head it went off of, but uh, if uh, whoever it was that hit, it, it hit off the top of their head, I think, and went just over the goal. They're another three or four inches up in the air. That goes off their forehead, and that goes into the goal. Um, you know, we'll take the draw and we'll run with it. Um, but we've got to up our game for the next time we we play with them because if they were filled with salt this game, they're going to be even more salty next time. Yeah, um, and I, this is already looking like it's going to be one of those dynamic rivalries um, in the Western Conference. You know, impressive away support for New Mexico. 
who had 13,000 fans at their opener last week. Um, it's an easy drive. They're trying to make a name for themselves from day one in this league. So kudos to them for that. You know, kudos to the good away support and to them for actually fielding a solid lineup, you know, right out of the gate. Um, this is going to be a fun, fun rivalry as it grows and as it becomes something really big. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's a weird one because on one hand, yes, we were never le- leading in this game. On the other hand, you know, if guys just do their job, I think we created more chances than them. We could have easily had a 3-1 win there. So I, I don't know, but I'm ready to move on. <laughs> Very good. Um, so we, we talked about this a little bit, but we can go more in depth about it on, I don't know if it was Wednesday or Thursday, but Phoenix Rising makes four, uh, loan signings. They bring four guys in from LAFC. Um, it's Tristan Blackman, Javier Perez, Jose Perez, and Shaft Brewer Jr. Um, so really need to see all those guys come in. These are all loans where the players can be returned to LAFC at any time. LAFC retains their right to bring those guys back at any time. And I definitely did not just read that off the press release. But <laughs> um, but no, it's a good move. It gives us depth, depths that we need. I think Blackman needs to get back in the swing of training with us because maybe there were a couple moments he was a little bit out of it. He was so good for us last year in covering those long shots at pressuring the ball. So it was really unusual to see him have a couple moments like that yesterday. I think in the long run, that's going to get fixed and it'll be nice to see. I think that there's misinterpreting something that Peter Ramage is telling him to do. Um, and it's extremely fixable. Uh, I think they look at uh, tape this next week and they see, you know, even more so than what we would see. They see what's going on in the field and uh, and this thing gets this thing gets fixed very quick with their defense. Um, we could have a lot worse problems in our back four, a lot worse. So I am perfectly fine with the struggles that they're having right now because it's very fixable. For sure, for sure. Um, but yeah, good good to see this signing. I mean, at the start of the preseason, we were talking about having depth issues in the back. And now I don't think that's the case, especially with Lamar Batista coming too. So, well, you know, and I'll throw something else extra in there because what I I, I am nervous about is becoming too dependent on um, Shaft and Blackmon and and and, and maybe um, Javier. Uh, I don't know anything about Josh. Uh, if we are too dependent on them, if we're using them a lot, and our other guys aren't getting a lot of minutes. Um, to me, that's a little bit of underdevelopment. And if these guys get called up by LAFC, then all of a sudden we got to start from scratch when it comes to communication and on-field time and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, so it will be interesting to see how that is managed going forward. Um, overdependence could could spell some real trouble if all of a sudden, uh, you know, a couple of these guys get called back up. That's very true, and uh, it's something that we've dealt with before. Um, with guys getting called up. So something to keep an eye on, but still very cool to see that signing. Um, another thing that happened this week is it was announced that uh, Phoenix Rising has a new 
stadium deal with Casino Arizona. It's now Casino Arizona Field. They had a lot of billboards up with Talking Stick Resort, Casino Arizona. Um, seems like a pretty good deal for both sides. We are playing on Salt River land, and so why not deepen that or uh, deepen that connection, as they say. So kind of a cool thing there. And then also in that article on Friday, they were talking about plans to expand the capacity to 10,000 and to add another parking lane, which would really help with traffic flow. What were your thoughts on that? Uh, with When it comes to uh, Arizona Casino, I think it's great. Um, I tweeted this out earlier this week. I think for me, it's a positive sign that maybe they're looking at Phoenix Rising in the long term when it comes to the land because I'm a big proponent for having the stadium right where uh, the current stadium is. And uh, if this, this uh, relationship for the current stadium helps solidify uh, plans for a new stadium on that site, I'm all for it. Um, you know, more seats means more money for the team. More money for the team means uh, more goodness for the team. So I'm, I'm behind that 100%. And uh, I timed it last night, and it took me 21 minutes to get out of the parking lot, so that secondary road can't come soon enough. Yeah, it was rough last night. I, oh, gosh. Okay, yeah. let's not let's not just complain <laughs> about things like that. It's really not anything that anyone cares about. But we're gonna get a second road. It's it's all good. Um, you know what we've what we've got to do is is worry about our next game. Yes. That was a beautiful transition right there. Um, so we don't have a game next week. Awkward. Nope. Uh, we play in two weeks. We play Colorado Springs, I believe, on March 30th. So it'll be a nice chance for the guys to rest up. It'll be a nice chance for them to hit the film room, see what's going on, work on improving that back four and the communication with the midfield. Um, so two weeks to refresh, reset. And then we do host Colorado Springs on the 30th at 7.30. Colorado Springs is a team that going into preseason, people weren't talking about a lot. People weren't thinking much of them, but they had some really solid results in preseason. Um, and then the season gets started and they thrash uh, Los Dos 4-1 on the road to open the season with Shane Malcolm getting a hat trick. So all of a sudden things are looking pretty good. Last week they lose 1-0 at home to Sac Republic. But that's a really good Sac Republic team. Um, Sac Republic only scores on a penalty kick in that match. And, you know, Springs has 62% possession, really good passing accuracy. Um, not a lot of household names on this team besides Shane Malcolm and Mike Seth, you know, of former rising fame. But it's they're getting the job done. They're finding ways to win. It seems like they have good cohesion and... This is a match where we should definitely win, but it's a match where if we take them for granted, they could go ahead on us and then lock it down because their defense seems pretty stingy this season. Yeah, um, Colorado's going to be interesting. Uh, we were talking about them earlier, so I just kind of quickly looked at the stats, and something that stuck out to me is that they, they had 14 shots against Sac Republic. Um but out of those 14 shots, two of them were shots on target, um, which statistically to me uh, speaks volumes. That's a 14, you know, they, they had a 14.3% shooting accuracy percentage. Um, so, you know, I'm not sure if with that game against Sacramento Republic, it's more of a statement about Colorado Springs or, or Sacramento. Um, 
you know, I'd rather that it be a, a, a statement about Sacramento, to be honest. Um, but it is what it is. They're going to be interesting. Uh, we do have two weeks to adjust and and plan and start, you know, getting some of the communication things done. And honestly, uh, although you can't take any any uh, any game for granted, we learned that last year, right? Um, we do Colorado Springs, and then we have Fresno uh, the week after, and El Paso the week after that. Um, and you know, I don't think these are going to be slam dunks because no, no games, a slam dunk. These are games where we should feel confident about uh, going into the game and winning it and learning more about our team and adjusting to that four, one, four, one, because if you go down, you got on a list, you got El Paso, then you got Austin bold Seattle Sanders. And then all of a sudden we hit Sac Republic, orange County, Las Vegas, real monarchs, uh, uh, orange County again in Reno. And so it's kind of, Maybe this sounds cocky, and I want to sound cocky about it, but it almost sounds like we've got some great teams to go against where we can still figure out what we're doing and still come out with a result. I mean, again, look at the last two games, nothing's guaranteed, but I I feel comfortable with that schedule. Yeah, I think this is a match that you just have to get three points from. I mean, I think against Sacramento and even to some extent against New Mexico, those are going to be – and against San Antonio and then against New Mexico, those are matches where you can live with a draw. New Mexico, you certainly want to win. But I think at the end of the day, after last night, a lot of respect from both sides. You know they're going to be a tough team. You know they're going to be in that top eight. Definitely in the top ten, probably top eight. Um, so it's a match that you can live with. Against Colorado Springs, I think they're going to squeeze into the playoffs, but it's at home two weeks to prepare you just have to find a way to win and it's going to be very telling will the defense lock it down can we score first if we can score first i think this is a game we can win comfortably if it takes us the entire first half without scoring or if we fall behind this could be another really tricky match um i i have a good feeling about it but it's it's one we can't take for granted and you know I don't. I don't think Fresno is going to be an easy one, though. So I. That's that's why I say it's very important we get this win against Colorado Springs because Fresno has four points from two matches. They drew New Mexico on the road, and then they took down RGV two nil on the road. So I. I am. A, I thought they were going to be better this year. I think they might be impressing me. They might be exceeding my expectations a little bit, but yeah, that's that's a tough team, and they play us well. You saw what happened last year. So let's, no, get, those, I agree. let's get those points against Colorado. Yep, I agree. You know, with Fresno, you know, there's something to be said about them winning on the road against RGV. Um, but it is just RGV. <laughs> I probably shouldn't say that, but, you know, it is it is what it is. Uh, but, yeah, uh, must win against uh, Colorado. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we will. I think with two weeks to prepare, I'm sure that Chance is going to grill the guys. I want to see Vega start. It's insane that he didn't touch the pitch last night. I think last night at 3-3 would have been a perfect opportunity for him to get on there. But I think we got to shake things up a little bit, and I want Vega to start. Just out of curiosity, if if Vega comes in, who comes out? Probably Aguinaga. Okay, that's what I was thinking too. 
And I wouldn't even be terribly upset to see Johnson start over Flemings with Flemings coming on as a sub. Well, since we're talking about roster selection for the Colorado Springs match, I thought I'd break in and let you know that Junior Flemings and Kevon Lambert have both been called to national service for the Jamaican national team. The players are heading into camp ahead of the CONCACAF National League qualifiers in games against El Salvador on March 23rd and a friendly against Costa Rica on March 26th. A victory against El Salvador clinches a berth in both the 2019 CONCACAF National League and the 2019 CONCACAF Gold Cup for the Jamaican national team. If picked for selection in the Costa Rica game on March 26th, either player may be unavailable for the Colorado Springs game on March 30th. If Flemings is unavailable, Firebird Soccer predicts that Dom's wish will come true as Jason Johnson will be his likely fill-in. Also available for selection for that position is Joey Calistri. If Kevon Lambert is unavailable, we're predicting that he will be replaced by either Colin Fernandez or James Musa. A less likely, though possible, replacement also is A.J. Cochran, who came on in relief during Game 1 in that same position. All right, gentlemen, back to you. Yep. I agree 100%. That's really weird. Uh, it's been happening a lot today. But <laughs> let's <laughs> let's move on before people start suspecting that we're actually in the same place and we're doing telepathy and stuff. Um, let's get into the other matches around the Western Conference this week. This was a weird week around the Western Conference. You know, most weeks you'll see one match that maybe you shake your head, that maybe you raise your eyebrow. There were three of those this weekend. And I want to start with the one that caught my attention the most. OC3, Tulsa 5. Orange County has the lead in this match. They're cruising. They're at home. They're up 2-0 right before halftime. And then they freaking blow it. Tulsa scores five unanswered. This is still a 2-2 match in the last 20 minutes. Then Luca Lobo gets a brace. I don't even know who he is, but he got a brace to put them ahead. They score another one in the 80th minute, and it ends 5-3. What the hell is that result? I don't know, but it's wonderful. <laughs> I'm gonna watch. This is why I have ESPN Plus because I'm gonna watch this game. Um, a little pro tip. Look, a little pro tip. Start it at the 43rd or 44th minute because that's where OC gets a penalty, then Tulsa gets a penalty, and then the second half's bonkers. Okay. All right. Uh, I, I will do that. Um, the only predictable thing out of this game is that Aiden Quinn got a goal. Uh, the rest of it is insanity. I I don't understand it. And statistically, if you look at, if you look at the statistics, this game – is not as skewed as you would think it would be given the result. Um, so I'm just going to have to see it to understand what in the heck happened. It's great, though. It's great. At least we are not the worst defense in USL at Orange County. So. <laughs> and while we're still talking about insanity, San Antonio won Portland Timbers 2 with 3. So San Antonio loses at home 3-1 to Timbers 2. This match starts out pretty even. It's tied 1-1. Timbers 2 goes up 2-1 at halftime. And they just they control it. They win 3-1. 
How does that happen? You know, I really had San Antonio as being the chief uh, rival for uh, the Western Conference this year. Um, this game really makes me reconsider uh, whether that's going to be true or not. And everybody, on any given night, you know, you can have a bad night. Um, but you, you start to, again, uh, look at some of the statistics uh, that, that happened in that game. And San Antonio, um, 22 shots, five shots on target. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a shooting accuracy of 22.7%. Versus forty percent for Portland Timbers. Uh, if you have that kind of statistic skewed like that, you're going to lose any given game. I don't know what happened yet, uh, but uh, it will be interesting to watch a little bit of that game too. Uh, somewhere, somebody just fell on their face a couple of times. Where did it happen? Was it Guzman? Uh, just not, uh, not you know, because he didn't uh, he didn't get any goals. Um, you know, were they looking at tape from the Phoenix Rising game and seeing how they can shut down Forbes? I, I don't know. Uh, it's an interesting result. But what's Yeah, what's going on with their back four and Cardone now in, in the net? New keeper this season, and he's conceded six in two weeks. So, Ouch. Um, yeah, that's weird. Another one that's weird, but we don't have to talk about it much. Um, Sounders 2 slash Tacoma Defiance slash No One Cares 0, Lostos 3. Um, that's that was like two teams that are going to be towards the bottom, and uh, not the result I expected. But good for Los Dos, Augustine Williams with the brace, one of their only promising players. So random. Moving on, um, Fresno beats RGV two nil. Um, good win for them, puts them at four points from two matches. One of the new signings this off season, Arun Bazuljevic, scored. Both of those goals, um, he I believe played in Serbia. It was one of those Eastern European countries. Um, he came over from there, and uh, making an impact for Fresno, who is going to be a dangerous team, especially if El Paso and Vegas don't meet the expectations some people had for them. Could definitely see Fresno being a playoffs squad. Um, other matches, Sacramento gets that one nil over Colorado Springs, and then. A match that is definitely under the radar, but a very good result. OKC Energy 2, Las Vegas Lights 1. I want to see the highlights for this because these are two of the teams I'm most interested in, um, especially in the early stages of this season. OKC's been on a tear. Um, Deshaun Brown's been scoring like crazy for them. He scored again in the 13th minute here. Las Vegas tied it up, though. Um, really good showing by them to have a lot of possession, to complete a lot of passes, to tie this game at one. But then Wayne Gordon gets on the end of it for OKC, um, puts in a winner, and they are looking really good. They are the only team at six points in the Western Conference. And I don't know if you, you listened last week, but I was talking with Kyle Mackey about this. They're a team that's really dangerous in the Western Conference. I predicted they would make the conference finals and upset some teams they keep this up, they might end up being a top two or three seed. Yeah, I don't disagree. I remember because I did listen to the podcast last week and, you know, with your top 10, it was kind of funny and listening to Kyle's and, and you know, you, you always have yours in your own mind and, and arguing some things, but you've got something with the OKC and I keep going to the, this one statistic, but again, this one I think is very pertinent. They had eight shots, six which were on target. 
That's a 75% shooting accuracy uh, overall for the team. That is that is the way you want to be shooting a ball right there. Um, if you've got guys that are shooting and six of eight are on target, uh, balls are going to go in and you need to be worried. That's, that's quality ball. They're doing something right. They are playing like dynamite. And uh, I'll keep saying it because it's true. They are hitting teams on the counterattack. They're being very opportunistic, and it looks a lot like us the later part of 2017 when we were just hitting people on the counter. It didn't matter if we had less possession because we were being efficient. We were putting goals in. We were winning games, and we were stacking them up. And I think OKC, barring injuries, with Deshaun Brown in the form he's in, they could rack some wins up right now. Um, They are a little bit unlucky because the schedule gets tougher for them the next couple weeks. They have back-to-back away matches at Sacramento and at Fresno. If they can get at least three points from those matches, they are looking like a top four team to me. They are. It's Sacramento and Reno back-to-back. So if they can get three points from those two, yeah, they're looking real strong. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, just looking through more of these statistics, um, you know, their possession was 44.5. They were running a 4-2-3-1, which means that they were playing fastball. They feel like they've got speed uh, on their wings uh, and they've got somebody in the middle and they must be doing something right to create space with that uh, 3-1 in front because, uh, again, shots on target speaks volumes. Definitely does. Um that man, DeShorn, is on fire, and defenses are terrified. So that's going to wrap up our Western Conference stuff. Um, oh, you know what? There's one match I forgot about, and it's not Fresno. You're welcome, Fresno. Reno 2, Austin Bold 1. Um, Austin actually scored first in this match. They went up through Kleber Freitas, who is one of their international signings, and they were up 1-0 at halftime, but... You know, Reno kicked it in the gear, as you would expect at home. They rally, they win 2-1. Brian Brown gets a brace, and they are also on four points. They are one of several teams on four points. And Reno looking like they're going to be a contender this year, as they tend to be. They're always somewhere in the mix. Uh, you know, I'm going to start calling Austin not so bold. I'm not impressed with anything I've seen from him so far. It's only been preseason in two games, but meh. Yeah, for sure. Um, and they're, I think they have another away match this, or no, they have two weeks off before San Antonio home, but yeah, man, they're, they're scheduled to start the year. It could get rough for them. Their next three at San Antonio or versus San Antonio at Sacramento versus us. And then they finally get El Paso at home. They're going to be bloody after that couple of weeks. Yeah. It's, uh, (laughs) not looking not looking good for them. Um, hashtag not so bold. So <laughs> that that kind of does it for Western Conference stuff. Um, previewed the, the next match. We talked about team news. Carl Wazinski got save of the week based on his denial of Billy Forbes in week one. That was a save that kept us in the game. We ended up drawing it shortly afterwards. So good to see him get that recognition. Um, Jason Johnson was up for goal of the week. He did not win. And, uh, you know... It was a good goal, but there are other good goals out there. I can't be too upset about that. So pretty cool to see us get that kind of national recognition, though. Um, and at this point, I think yeah, we, we, had, 
go for it. We had two guys in the in the in the race. You know, that's 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 enough. Right. Um, well, I think we can shut this thing down. We talked each other's ears off about Phoenix Rising versus New Mexico. I mean, we're trying to keep these episodes down, but these games are just freaking bonkers. So, uh, what are your thoughts? Well, uh, my thoughts are uh, we've got a team who is going through growing pains uh, and we're trying to learn a new system. And so I'm okay with where we are. We're surviving on draws. We need to improve. We will improve. I still think that 2019 is going to be a terrific season. I think we take the Western Conference and uh, we really, really have the men and the capability to take the cup this year. I agree. I mean, if the scoring's any indication, we're going to be terrorizing other defenses and i think our defense will be it'll be settled i think we'll get the hang of things and the schedule is kind to us as you pointed out we do have a lot of winnable matches we don't have a lot of matches against on paper contenders the next few weeks so that bodes well um you know so that's kind of nice um oh I, i forgot even another match that happened on saturday no goals happened, though. It was nil-nil, Real Monarchs and El Paso. El Paso got their first point, but they did not score, even when they were up a man for an hour. So that's another match we could pretty easily win, and it's one that I will be going to. So it should be fun. It's going to be part of that stretch of games where we have a lot of winnable ones. So I'm excited to see us rest, recover, get in the swing of things, and get some points stacked up because I don't like seeing us down at two. Yep. Points matter. Definitely. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for joining. Um, you're welcome anytime. Do you want to shout out your show too? Because you had a couple amazing YouTube episodes recently. The one with Rick Schantz as a must listen. The one with Sam Dorr as a must listen. Just give people some information. Sure. Well, I appreciate that. You know, I, we have the, the PRFC fan show with uh, myself and Edward and, and, uh, you know, we aren't uh, quite as legit as Rising Spot. We take a little more of a satirical approach to, uh, to the, the sport and what's going on. Um, but we do enjoy talking to the coaches and the players. And I appreciate your words about the, uh, the interview with Coach Johnson and Coach Ramage. Um, they were absolutely terrific. Uh, we're going to have another interview with uh, Sam this next week. Um, so I'm looking forward to that because there's a lot to talk about there. Uh, and then we're going to continue on with the uh, player interviews and uh, hopefully produce some stuff that uh, people enjoy. We are making one switch up. We're going to start taking the interviews and we are going to put them up as podcasts because nobody wants to look at me on a screen for that long. So <laughs> we decided we do audio versions for people who are driving their car and they want to be able to hear uh, the interviews. And uh, we'll start seeing that this week. Apparently some people want to because you're getting decent views. We are. It's it. It's building and building and uh, you know we've, we've got a ways to go and and we just hope that uh, we can keep improving the quality of the show and that that will uh, you know bring in even more views uh, is it because of your sexy faces or in spite you should put in a spite up. most de- <laughs> most definitely in spite of uh, I look at the at the uh, the screen with me on it and I just think good lord what are you doing this is terrible uh, but, uh, but we have a good time, and we're trying to create quality content that's for the fans. I mean, we're not, we're not doing this, you know, for ourselves. We're doing it to build a fan base and to, to build 
uh, you know, exposure for the team and the players too. You know, uh, a lot of these players, uh, we get a lot of hits on views when we do player interviews from families and friends back home. And, and, you know, that makes us feel good too. That's so cool. Yeah. Just keep up the good work. And as I've said before, you're always welcome. I'm sure we'll have you on at some point this season, uh, for our regular listeners. I'm not sure if we're going to have an episode next week because rising isn't playing. Maybe we'll just talk about Western Conference stuff. If there's big team news, then I think plans change. Maybe we just take a break along with the team and we come back in two weeks. So we'll figure that out. We'll let you know what happens. But until then, up rising and have a great week. Take care. Thanks, guys. We'll finish up with the Firebird soccer calendar and take your supporters' corner question. Make sure to put Saturday, March 30th on your calendar at 7.30. Phoenix Rising FC faces off against the Colorado Springs Switchbacks. F FC Arizona looks to continue its undefeated streak in NPSL play on Wednesday, March 20th, as it faces off against Golden State FC at Mesa High School. FC Arizona also has a game on Friday, March 22nd, against the Chivas de Guadalajara Reserve Squad. Make sure you get tickets. That's sure to be a well-attended match at Mesa High School on Friday at 7 o'clock. Chivas, formerly home to Omar Bravo, will be featuring several of its future stars in the match. In other Arizona soccer news, FC Tucson took on Sporting Arizona today, Monday, March 18th. FC Tucson pulled off a 9-0 win against a Sporting Arizona side who recently saw competition in the Arizona Adult Cup with a loss against eventual men's open champion Real Jalaciense. For more information about the match, check out firebirdsoccer.net where Tucson beat writer Steven Hernandez has all the great details. Finally, we want to congratulate all of the champions of the Arizona Soccer Association 2019 Adult State Cup. As noted before, Real Jalaciense defeated Bounce FC 5-1 in the Men's Open Championship to go back-to-back -back as state champions. On the co-ed side, On Moore is the 2019 co-eds champions. Congratulations to all the teams out there and a special shout-out to Garrett Cleverly and the Arizona Soccer Association for putting on an outstanding event. I'll go ahead and close the show with questions from the supporters section. Rob Seal asks, as much as I want Lambert in the final third, does it make more sense to pull him back to the defensive midfield position to bully the top of the box? Rob, my answer to you is absolutely not. What we need to have is a defensive midfielder who can communicate effectively with his back line. The 4-1-4-1 formation relies on a Musa-type player, but unfortunately we just haven't seen enough of Musa. Hopefully we'll be seeing either Musa or Colin Fernandez reprise their role from last season as defensive midfielder, which should plug the holes that we've been seeing in our defense over the past two matches. The ghost of Luke Grooney opened up a can of worms and also a jar of Preparation H as his bottom was torn into by suggesting that Waz may be off of his game and Lubin should possibly get the next start. While Ghost is the Twitter handle that everybody loves to hate, he brings up somewhat of a reasonable question. And the reality is, is that the six goals given up in the past two games have very little to do with Waz. 
As discussed earlier in the show, it's not really his positioning that's causing the issue. It has to do with communication between the center backs. Our first match paired up two center backs who hadn't started a preseason game together, and a second game also again paired up two center backs hadn't even played a single match together. Once the defensive back line has a chance to, to play together, to gel, and get to predicting what each other are going to be doing, this back line is going to be so solid, they're going to be called the wall that Ramage built. Until then, I'm sure we'll all continue our armchair quarterbacking, just as we always do. But just as Chicano Malo mentioned in a rather testy thread earlier today, the players do pay attention to what we're talking about. They do listen to what the supporters are saying. So let's keep things on the positive note. It's a long season, and we're playing against some opponents that will allow us to test out a few different schemes before settling in for the rest of the season. While we are heading into a little layoff before our next match, make sure you check out firebirdsoccer.net for all of your breaking Phoenix Rising news and other news from soccer around the state of Arizona. That's it for me. I'm Aaron Blau. You can find me on Twitter at FitBoffPhoto and at FirebirdSoccer.net. For Dominic Kearns and Kevin from the PRFC Fan Show, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Or maybe not. <laughs>